Welcome uh, to Grace here this morning. I hope you got a bulletin and keep your hymn books near you so that you can join me in our call to worship this morning as we'll be doing it in a responsive way. Um, but let me encourage you, if you're here visiting for the first time, we'd sure love to have a record of your visit. There's a welcome card that's there. If you've never filled one of those out, or if your address or information has changed, those are also very welcome uh, for us because it helps us. If you just put on there, hey, change of address and put stuff in there or contact info, it really helps Christy as we keep things up to date. Uh, we're also encouraging those of you who are not in the directory. It's not only for members. But if you're regularly attending or you want to pray for those in the church or you want to update your picture, there are ways to do that. You don't have to have someone else do it for you. So if you would like to learn how to do that, call Christy. And if you have a picture that you're looking through the director and you're like, man, I just don't like our picture. She has allowed me to tell you that you're welcome to either take your own. She'll show you how you can put it in there or send us another. But we would surely love to have an updated photo of your family so that others can get to know who you are as the many new families look through the directory. So please keep that in mind as we go. Also this morning, we do have all of our Sunday school classes uh, that are normally meeting. I know Dr. Abbott is downstairs meeting, and I know the ladies' class are still meeting with Mrs. McFadden. All the kids are still meeting. Um, and then this morning, I'll be starting a class on the assurance, resting in God's salvation. We'll be meeting in the sanctuary, um, but the other classes are still downstairs. So if you're not in a class, you're welcome to stay after and join us as we uh, spend the next several weeks just resting on our assurance that we have in God's salvation and dealing with the questions that people go through. But, le but let me give you something that's not in the bulletin. I know there's many things there for, that you can save and uh, keep track of that's there for you. But our summer fun days that are coming up in July, those are going to be on Wednesdays, just like we did last summer, except this time they're in the evening. Last year we did it in the early morning hours, and many people that are now back at work and starting to do things aren't able to be a part. So we're going to do it in the evening this year, but we're ready for you to start signing up. So if you want to help with crafts, or you want to help with snacks, or you want to help with the teaching lesson, or you want to help with recreation, please let us know. Call the office. Nick's going to help put all that together just like we did last year. We have a theme. We'll put that out here in the coming weeks in the bulletin just like we did last year. But rather than doing a one-week short VBS, we've decided to do it again as we did last year so that we can spread it out over the month every Wednesday. Teachers can come, you can have a good time, and then you have a whole week to prepare for the next week. But the good news of it is, and our prayer is, that you'll have a whole week to invite someone else to come. So rather than packing it all in in one week and, and ruining a, a summer vacation or missing you because of it, we spread it out the whole month. And so please, if you're interested at all, we want you to be a part of that. And so let us use your gifts and abilities to help us, even if it's for one week or one day, I should say, of one week. So you don't have to commit a lot to be able to come and help our children grow. And then finally, the youth are doing, the elders are okay with us doing a, an outreach uh, for the mission trip. They're going to be going on a mission trip this year. They've included the junior high students, and so the, those with the junior high and parents will be going along with it. So there's going to be a good group of people going, I believe, to New Jersey. Is that right? The same thing. And so we are going to do a... A rummage sale, I call it. Is that a good way to call it? A yard, sale. yard sale, rummage sale. It's going to be on June 5th, a Saturday, here in the Fellowship Hall, rain or shine. And so after next weekend, after the second service, if you would like to bring donations, things that you think that would sell, please don't bring us all the things that nobody has ever bought at your garage sales. <laughs> um, 
we do not have a trailer kind of like the Goodwill that we can sell it by the pound, okay? <laughs> uh, honestly, if you have things, though, that you think, hey, I'd like to sell this, we'll take it, we'll try to sell it, we're going to open it up when the food bank comes by, the ministry, they want to come inside and look at things. But one of the things we're also going to do is sell some goodies. So if you'd like to bake something and bring it in so that people can buy things as goodies, you're welcome to bake something. So even if you don't have something that you want to give up or have something that you want to get rid of, you can bake. But we'll give you more information on that. There is also going to be some youth projects up and coming this summer to help. So if you're someone who needs your yard raked or leaves picked up or chores around the house, before you call the local handyman and spend a fortune, we promise to do it for twice the amount of money if you'll <laughs> put that, those youth to work. Um, but let them raise money. When they do that, they're actually doing that. Uh, the elders have been specific with Nick we're not in this to raise money for our church. We truly believe God provides through the tithes and the offerings. But this is a way for even those going on the mission trip that would like to or need to be able to earn some, teach the kids responsibility and go. And so the elders have agreed that all the money that is brought in will go directly to the mission trip. So uh, there won't be anything uh, funding for fun and activity like that as well. So with all that in there, uh, I appreciate all of you and what you've done. We've made it through. I appreciate those of you who helped with the funeral yesterday uh, to come and show your love and respect. If you haven't had a chance to let Rebecca know that you're caring for her, what an opportunity to send the card and just include her and remind her that she is still loved from us. So let me lead us, if I can, to the throne of grace. If you'll join me in the Lord's Prayer, we'll call ourselves to worship here this morning. Heavenly Father, again, we are so thankful for your Son, Jesus Christ. The Lord, even in this past week, as we overcome the trials of the loss of loved ones here on earth, that we are still reminded that those are appointed times by you. Nobody interferes with your plan and your purpose. We celebrate the time that we're born, and we celebrate the time that we're able to go be in your presence. And Lord, while we're still here, we ask that you send your Holy Spirit. Enable us here this morning to set all things aside so that our minds can focus on you, our hearts can be touched, and our wills can be brought to submission so that we can uphold the purity and peace of your kingdom on earth. Lord, again, we know we've never earned it. We've never worked it to where you've owed it to us. But you have graciously opened. You've taken the holy of holies and made it available to us. And so, Lord, we come through together as your body praying saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. If you would, turn in your hymn books to page 839 to Psalm 146. I'm going to ask you to stand so that as we're done, we can immediately turn, if you need to, in your hymn book to page 705 and sing, I know whom I have believed. But I will read the light print if you will join together in the bold print. Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save. 
when their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, the Lord who remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever, your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. I saw an article pop up. It said one of the reasons why we come and worship in church together is because Christians are forgetful. And it's funny, but it's serious. We need to remind ourselves, not only week by week as we gather on the Lord's Day, but daily to encourage one another with the truth. So we rehearse these truths together on the Lord's Day, and then we think about them throughout the week and share them with our family, with our neighbors, with our friends, as the Lord gives us opportunity. So again, we have our Westminster Shorter Catechism. Let me read the question, and then let's all respond together. What benefits do believers receive from Christ at the resurrection? At the resurrection, believers being raised up in glory shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment and made perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God to all eternity. What is the duty which God requireth of man? The duty which God requireth of man is obedience to his revealed will. And as we come to this time now of confession and prayer together, we're acknowledging that we have not obeyed God's revealed will in heart and in word and in deed. So let's pray together this prayer that's printed before you. O merciful God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who pardons all such as truly repent and turn to you. We humbly confess our sins and implore your mercy. We have not loved you with a pure heart fervently, neither have we loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not done justly, nor loved mercy, nor walked humbly with you, our God. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out our iniquity. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Cast us not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from us. Restore unto us the joy of your salvation, and uphold us with your free spirit. Amen. And as we come to the Lord confessing our sins We can be assured that the answer is yes, that the answer is that our sins are forgiven, again, not not based on our worthiness, but because of the worthiness of Jesus, our great Savior. So receive this promise of God's grace, this assurance of pardon from Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? 
forgiveness, peace, his spirit, freedom to worship, freedom to serve him in our lives so that God would be glorified. Be at rest that because of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. Look to him, trust in him. I hope that you brought your Bibles along with you as I encourage you. If you don't have one, we would like to get you one. We will work that out. Um, Most often we are in the ESV, but you're welcome to follow along in your favorite translation, one that you like to study and keep up with. As you're turning to Nehemiah chapter 11 and 10, we are moving forward fast. We've been through several opportunities of seeing the importance of all that is happening in rebuilding our lives. And now we're in the revival of our personal lives. I like what Nick said about a church is forgetful. It gives me a little grace that if I say things you won't remember from week to week uh, <laughs> what's there. But here we're learning in chapter 10 that what it means to have another cutting. I'll explain a little bit later. The word covenant isn't actually... A Hebrew term here, Uh, we'll explain that as we go a little bit later, it was the cutting together that made a commitment between blessings and curses. And so when they entered into oath or covenant, it was because there were stipulations of blessings and cursings. And this morning I want to speak to you about renewing your cutting, your covenant. It's what it takes for all of us to be brought back to true revival. And so here in Nehemiah chapter 10, I won't read the whole thing, but I want to encourage you to follow along as I pick up in verse 28. Now, the first 27 verses are a bunch of names I'll let you pronounce. They really are the Levites, the priests, the leaders, those in regulations. The point of that is not to mention each and every person. Obviously, God wants us to know those. It's to show you that everybody involved was the signing of the covenant. Everybody mentioned, from the leaders to the Levites to the servants to those involved, were a part of the commitment to serve Jesus Christ. You know, we say as elders many times in the church, we want you to share your heart, we want you to share your thoughts, we want you to share God's leading. But when we vote, we move as what? One. We all support it. We don't pick out times and say, well, if it was up to me, we would have done that. But the truth of it is they wanted this. No. Folks, when it came to the cutting of oaths and curses, God's people moved together all in one. And so I encourage you, chapter 10, verse 28, these are the people, if you remember, back in chapter 9, that were separating themselves so that their lives could be brought back into a line with what God wanted. And let me just say this up front to you this morning. I haven't been spying on you. I'm not here to mention certain characteristics in your life, and I'm not sure where it is that your life may have been challenged or confronted by Satan, and you're finding yourself wavering and wandering. And now this morning he's saying it's time for us to cut the curses and the oaths. It's time to walk back through the pieces so that we can live what we're supposed to be living. All of us, as Nick said in a great way, what he read, are forgetful people. And many times we forget the commitments that we're supposed to carry out. And so here's what it says in verse 28. The rest of these people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, in all that separated themselves, that's the list of these people, they have separated themselves from the people of the lands 
to the law of God. There's a reason what they separated here. It's not just physically. Their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and they enter into, now here's that phrase, the covenant. But what it really says in the Hebrew is they entered into the cutting. It's the cutting, the stipulations of the curses and the oaths to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and to do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his rules and his statutes. We will not give our daughters to the people of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the people of the land bring any goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. For those of you familiar, we're speaking of the year of Jubilee, in which all people were brought back to equality so that one was not always getting more and more wealthy and one getting more and more poor. So here's what he says, verse 32. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. For the show bread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God according to our father's houses at times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground, the first fruits of all our fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Also to bring to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborns of our herds and our flocks. To bring the first of our dough, our contributions, every tree, the wine, the oil, to the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God, to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all the towns where we labor. And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tithe and the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. Okay, I get it. It's about tithes, right? It's amazing what he says. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister, and the gatekeepers and the singers. We will not neglect the house of God. Now, I'm not here going to preach a sermon on the importance of your church building. But isn't it amazing when we begin to speak about revival, the things in our society that have slowly got pushed to the side? You see, when we talk about recommitment, today we go to all kinds of places where you can see counselors, self-help institutions, gurus, advisors, life coaches. Folks, have you ever heard of such a thing? You can now do that. I'm not against them. I appreciate their help. But folks, we have life coaches 
We have counselors of all kinds. We're going to seek help. There's something wrong. We have problems and we need change. And we're seeking every avenue possible to find change in our life. And yet they grow more and more every day. Because there's so little change that comes about. Let me tell you why. People don't really want change. Oh, we like to talk about change. We want to think that there's change. We want people to think that we really don't like the way things are. But we don't want to change how we're living. We don't want to change the sins that we're a part of. We don't want to change our priorities and put God first. We don't want to change the desires of our hearts. You see, we really don't want change. But we want to be a part of the scenario that makes it look like, as Christians, we want what? Change. Oh, I want to ask you bluntly this morning. This is what Nehemiah would have said. Are you just in it for the show? Or do you really want to change? That's what Nehemiah 10 is all about. It's the need to make a commitment. Something of a commitment to more than ourselves. Folks, you're never going to find the change. Nehemiah talked about the wall. He talked about bringing the people together. They accomplished an amazing task in such a short period of time. And then he turned it to the hearts of the people and started realizing that's where the real change occurs. That's where we make a difference in society. We don't win by changing the laws, by outnumbering others, by being of the masses. It's the church's job to change the hearts 2 Corinthians chapter 5, never forget it. Memorize a chapter if you want to memorize one. Because it simply reminds us that we are ministers of reconciliation. Our number one task, no matter where we are, is to try to reach the hearts of people so that they too see the change that they can be a part of in a life of Jesus Christ. That's what matters. Not just sitting around talking about it. Nehemiah has been leading us on revival here. Let me just quickly summarize in chapter 9. We looked at this in the readings of the law, if you wish, or chapter 8, the word, and how important it was as the people were reading and teaching of the word. In chapter 9, after they were awakened to their sin and the need for God's law, we saw the confession of their sin, the focus back on God, that he could be a part of their lives. And now here we find true revival only takes place when there's a commitment to change. If you've ever worked with someone who's going through an addiction, the hardest part, do you want to change now? Are you willing to make the change necessary? The hardest part of sharing your faith with someone and trying to lead someone to those graces of Jesus Christ is to not give them the plan of salvation to not lay it out and say that, you know, we're all sinners because we've inherited this guilt. And yet there's this loving, wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ, who shed his blood on the tree and has washed us to make us white as snow. And if you follow with him in obedience and to get baptized and to share that sacrament to find your faith increased, one day you'll walk on the golden streets with him side by side. How does that sound? That sounds wonderful. The hardest question, are you willing to make that step. You see the problem is we have many Christians that don't understand repentance. We have many Christians that don't understand true conversion. We have a lot of people that love church. We have a lot of people that love fellowship. We have a lot of people that love gathering. But what Nehemiah is saying is we need people who have God. 
We need people whose hearts have been changed. Only he can do that. And so now he reminds us, let's renew the covenant. Do you know what revival really is when we talk about renewal? You've heard this before. The revival is not reaching people for Christ. Revival is not evangelism. Revival is not seeking new people. Revival is simply viving again. And you can't revive what hasn't already been what? Vived. Okay? You can't go to lost people and say, let's be recommitted. Because they've never been what? Committed. You can't say, let's get resaved. Because that wouldn't even be theologically correct. Right? And you can't go to someone and say, let's be revived. If they've never had Christ. Revivals today are sometimes very misleading for that reason. If you want to reach the lost, man, do a crusade. Do evangelism. Point it directly toward the lost. Nehemiah simply says, no. What we're talking about is revival. People who belong to God, whose commitments have waned, and over time, God and his word have not remained the focus in your life. This morning, I ask you that same. Is God's word still the focus? of your life. That's our guide. So let me tell you this. How do we do it then, pastor? If we're going to repent, you've got to repent from something to something. You see, true conversion is not just turning away. You can't just stop bad things and think that you're safe. You can't just stop doing the things that you shouldn't and think that you're automatically doing the things that you should. Repentance means turning away from sin, away from the disobedience, and turning toward the things that God asks you to do and to be obedient. There is no middle ground. Jesus even says, for those who are lukewarm, John hears it in Revelation, what does he do with those? I mean, use your own phrase. You've heard it differently, right? He spits them out. He throws them up. It's the analogy that we get in Scripture that says he regurgitates them. Let me just put it in Jerry's words. It makes him sick. Can we say that? That we can make God sick for people who live a lukewarm lifestyle and have said, well, I've stopped doing the bad, but I'm not doing the good. I'm halfway saved. I'm halfway serving. I'm a halfway Christian. See, that, that just doesn't make sense. Oh, I preached sermons years ago called Mixed Marriages. That's not what today was because I was afraid if I put that on the sign out front, we'd be in trouble. Because Nehemiah is not talking about the mixed marriages between the colors of your skin and the words of a language that you use. What Nehemiah is talking about is the problem of mixed marriages when you begin to syncretize and mix religions and share gods and mix righteousness with unrighteousness, sin with obedience. That's why mixed marriages never make it. Oh, we're not talking about anything outside of Scripture. So, Pastor Jerry, what do I do to recommit? It's not just without direction. You can't just say, you know what, I want to change. Well, I, I have the right to ask you this. Well, then what is it you want to change? See, you have to have in your mind already, well, what is it that's wrong? What is it that needs to be done differently? And then you have to be willing to say, I'm ready to change this. You can't just say, I'm ready to change. There's no general salvation. Salvation is to specific terms that God gives us. Salvation is to turn from the sins that are specifically named and to turn toward the obedience and the things that God commands in his law. 
So how do I do that? Follow along with me. I'll give you several steps. How is it that we find direction in recutting our covenant? Let's say it that way. First of all, the direction always leads us to Scripture. You write these down. I'll give them to you. I'll come back and face them up if you're keeping track. First of all, there's four directions. One, he always directs us to Scripture. The covenant takes assigning those involved. It also takes stipulations and there needs to be submission. I'll give you these as we go through. So let's join in. How is it that Nehemiah leads us on reviving our life with God? First of all, it's the scriptures. Look at verse 28 and 29. The people of the land that had separated themselves from the people of land to the law of God. We don't ask our children to separate just to go sit in your room. They come home from school and they tell you about their friends. I don't want you to hang around those friends. We all know the scriptures. We've memorized them as parents. Bad company corrupts good morals. We've got that down. We don't want you to hang around those kind of friends. We don't want that in our house. I want you to separate yourself from that. And wouldn't it be ironic if the school called home and said, you know, we have a problem with your child. They're separating themselves. He said, well, that's good. That's what we told them to do. They're sitting in the corner of the classroom all day by themselves. They've turned around and put their nose in the corner, and that's where they stay. Would that make sense? That's not what you would intend. When you ask your children to separate, let's be specific. We want you to separate yourselves to the laws of God. We want you to find yourself seeking to do the things that glorify God, not doing the things that the world wants. There must be specifics. That's what Nehemiah says. They separated themselves. Even their wives, their sons, their daughters, their families were separated to the law of God. So men, I challenge you, ladies... Single moms, many of you, grandparents still raising your children, I put this before you. How can you separate your children to the laws of God if you don't know the Word of God? When they ask you, Dad, well, what do you want me to do? Well, I don't know. I just don't want you to do that. Well, I don't know. I just don't want you to get involved in that. See, we got a way of saying what we don't want. But what we're failing at is trying to find the ways of knowing what God wants. That's most important. We must separate the scriptures, verse 29, to do a curse and an oath with God's law. Do you realize, folks, that if you disobey the scriptures, there's punishments for that? That the scriptures were not just a good guide. They were not just a self-help and a well-being book. That You know what? If you'll just abide by the scriptures, life in general will be better. Life in general will come out more effective. That's not what God says. He gave you the scriptures because there is a punishment, a curse, if you wish, for those who disobey. It's not going to go well with those who disobey. And there is a blessing when we obey, when we do the things God wants us to do. So in scriptures, write this down in summary. What did he mean in 28 and 29, the commandments of the Lord? He simply said this, scriptures must be the supreme in your life above all things, and you are bound by it, and therefore you must live according to all of it. I'll let you choose. I won't nitpick this morning. I'll allow you to ask yourself Put your hand around your child, your spouse, your parent, and just simply say, are we living by all of God's word? Or are we just simply using it as a general guide to say we're Christians? 
Revival says the scriptures are first. But there's another part. It directs us in this covenant of cutting, not just to go back to the scriptures, but to look at what it means by signing the covenant. All of verse 1 to 27 is the signing of the covenant. Everybody involved agreeing to what this covenant is about. You're committing to be a part of that. Did you know when you join the church here, I can't speak for every church, but we have five statements that you join with. Did you know that? Do you know that's what it means if you wish to say that we uphold creeds and confessions, that we have standards here at the church, that every member makes a confession of their faith to say that if I'm going to be a member here, this is what I'll do. Did you know that? You want me to reiterate that for you? It means this. You'll do whatever the pastor asks, whenever the pastor wants it, and however he tells you to do it. No, but that's actually what happens in many churches. I know it sounds facetious, but folks, many times we look at the church as a business. And this is the guy who runs our business. And this is the guy that's going to tell us what to do. And that's not true. You're signing an oath with God, not with me. Oh, I appreciate your grace. I appreciate your love. And I appreciate the opportunity that I'm able to feed my family and care for them on the grace that you give because of your covenant with God. That's a blessing. Now I ask you, what about the rest of the signing that takes place? Why is the signing so important? I can spend days, but let me just quickly say this. Go back and read Genesis 15. It's when Abraham met with God. God covenanted to him. He said uh, to Abraham, I'm going to make a a covenant with you, the land, the seed, the blessings. I'm going to bless you. There's nothing you can do about it. But he put together, catch this, the cutting of curse and oath. And so he took the animals that God told him to gather and he cut them in half, set them on either side of an aisle. He didn't cut the birds, it tells us. He put a turtle dove on one side and a pigeon on the other side. But he separated the animals by cutting them, by cutting an oath. It would be there that, catch this, you would walk down the aisle together and the two that would come down the aisle together would make a covenant and an oath to stipulations and agreements until death did they part. In other words, if you didn't keep your end, you would be treated like the animal. Oh, it's not just about marriage today. Isn't that amazing? That we put one family on one side and one family on another. We separate everything We put down the stipulations. We lay out the regulations. We ask them both to sign on it and everybody to be a part of it. And they walk down the aisles together as the sign that everything that we said we would do, we would agree to. And then we even say until what? Death do we part. It's only one form. It's supposed to be in every area of your life. You see, Abraham didn't agree with God. Here's the amazing part of the story. Abram fell asleep and God came down in smoke and fire and went through the aisle by himself. That's why it's called an unconditional covenant. You cannot change God's blessings on your life. You have no stipulations involved in your salvation. God has promised to bless Abraham and even when he was faithless, God blessed him. Even when he didn't keep the stipulations, God blessed him. And even when you fail, and even when you fall, and even when you get to the point you're ready to quit, you have a God that has swooped down and unconditionally promised that you would be his people and he would be your God. 
Oh, I wish it was like that. You see, I can't do it quickly, but I will fast, but I guess as quick as I can. Mark this in your mind. Why does it matter? Because when you speak of covenants in the Bible, there's three big ones you need to understand. There's the Caesarean covenant. It's that covenant between the greater and the lesser, between the Caesareans, the leaders. You see, the Abrahamic covenant was a Caesarean covenant. It was unconditional. Why? Because the greater king would make stipulations on the lesser king, and he didn't have to do anything about it because he was the greater king. Who cares if he didn't uphold it? The lesser king couldn't do anything about it. And so it became unconditional. So when the greater king, Jesus Christ, king of kings and lord of lords, says, well, I'll make a promise with you, Jerry, that if you'll keep my commandments, I'll give you eternal life. Folks, it's unconditional. Whether I keep them or not, God's going to give me what? Eternal life. Jerry, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to keep you. I'm going to make my face to shine upon you. Whether I sin or not, it doesn't change the greater king because I can't do anything about it. That's salvation. Oh, but there's also what's known, if you wish, as the parity covenant. You see, the parity covenant is when two equals entered into agreement. It became conditional. Why? Because if one king didn't keep their side, the other was equal, and boy, you had a war. Boy, now it was conditioned on what, who was going to be stronger, who was going to uphold it, and who was going to win the votes of the others. The problem with parity covenants is that people take sides. And finally, there's the patron covenant. The patron covenant was the covenant that we get when the lesser vessel or king makes a vow to the greater king. Now catch this. God, if you'll just help me pass this test, I promise I'll never cheat again. God, if you'll just get us through this, I promise I will never miss another Sunday. If you'll just make my car make it to the end of the week, I'll tithe faithfully from here on out. You see, those are called patron covenants. Why? Because the greater king knows you're not even going to keep the covenants that you're making. But you know what's amazing? I still have the right to bless you. And that's what's taking place here. Nehemiah is not saying you can change all of eternity because that's set by God. Nehemiah is not saying that you have the right to tell God what you're going to do. You don't even have the right to put the stipulations down. You see, what God is doing in the Caesarean covenant is saying, Nehemiah, give my people the scriptures. I set the regulations. I set the standards. I'm the one setting what needs to be accomplished. All I want you to do is sign it. Let me rephrase this. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. Whosoever believes in me shall not what? Perish. You see, our signing, even though still an act of grace, is placing our faith in the work of Christ. We signed. We confessed. And every time we take the Lord's Supper... We do this and we confess him until he comes again. In our tradition, as we would weekly take the Lord's Supper, we were reminded that we need revival, that we need renewing, and that we need his grace. 
Oh, not only was it about the scriptures, it was about signing it and agreeing to the stipulations. So let me give you those. What are the stipulations? He says it right here. Let's not forget what they are. It goes to God's law, but they're specific stipulations. Look at verse 30. We will not give our daughters over to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. Folks, I I don't know where to go with this because I know we could spend weeks and weeks. I have six daughters, believe me. I know exactly where this thing is going. I have shotguns in every corner of the room. I have plaques all over the house, and I always invite them over before they're ever allowed to do anything else. I have tried everything in the case of fear to make this known. What I have realized is that unless my children covenant with God, I have better spent the time getting my children to covenant with God because my covenant with them is probably not going to be strong enough. We live in a world of mixed marriages. Hear me clearly. It's not about skin color. It's not about language. It's not about our nationality. It's about mixing the purity and peace of our religion with another. It's about mixing our God with another. Oh, it's taught throughout all of the scriptures. Yes, you can go back and see that it didn't just start in one person who did it. But we realize that whether it was Ezra speaking about it in the readings of the law, whether it was Malachi who addresses it, whether it's Nehemiah who's now telling us, or whether it's Paul who addresses it in the books of Corinthians. Our marriage is of utmost importance. Why? Because it's the specific command that says if you're going to be in revival, you're going to have to specifically obey God. Oh, I could spend weeks as we have before about how do we deal with that when it comes to a mixed marriage. First and foremost, it should have never been mixed. I say that gently. Second Corinthians 6 We'll go on and tell you the stories of what good does an unrighteous have with righteous or the unsaved with the saved or a temple of Belial with the temple of God. Folks, we're living in a world today where mixed marriages religiously are very common. And what matters most now is this question that all of us fall into the trap with. Well, what really matters is if you love them. You know what First John says? If you don't know God, you don't know what? Love. Because Christian love, godly love, the grace that comes from an unconditional love is totally different than the love that says, I will do the best I can. It's only when God swears to himself coming down with Abraham through the pieces. Here's what he really said. I swear to you that I am who I am. That's what he told Moses. And I'll keep my promises. So help me as long as I'm God. George Burns many years ago. I used to watch one of his movies my mom loved. It was called Oh God. Anybody old enough like me to remember that? One of my favorite lines in the movie that George Burns plays with John Denver is George Burns is God in the flesh, not Jesus, but God, and he's down walking. He goes through the supermarket, I believe it is, and he walks through the line, and someone says, well, what are you doing? He says, well, I promised to do that. And he said, what do you mean you promised? He's what he said, so help me me. It's one of my favorite lines. So help me me. And that's what God did with Abraham when he walked through this. So help me me. Abraham, I will keep my promises as long as I'm God. Moses, I'll deliver my people as long as I'm God. Folks, I want you to keep my word as long as I'm God. And until the time comes that God is not God, you don't have the right to change them. 
You don't have the right to water them down. You don't have the right to say it's okay. We're living in a world where we have syncretized the beliefs just so that we may keep peace with our families. Nehemiah simply said, look how many families separated themselves. I will give you one bit of advice. I won't preach on marriage this morning, but I will tell you this. If you're in a mixed marriage, and let's just prayerfully say it happened because you were both lost when you got joined together in a marriage and one of you got saved. You know what the blessing of it is? Is an unconditional God even tells us in the writings of Corinthians with Paul that if you're the one that's believing, do not leave the unbeliever because that unbeliever may be sanctified through your what? obedience through your upholding of the covenant faithfulness through your keeping the word of God through you staying tough to the standards the other might get saved but oh today it's a little backward today we have young people saying it's okay I want to get married I hope I can save them down the line One would be a wonderful blessing of God. The other would be disobedience to the same words. Yes, it's not just about our marriages. It's about the Sabbath. Look what he says. We're not even going to trade with the people who want to do business on the Lord's Day or a holy day. Folks, we're not in the ceremonial laws. We're not asking you to bring sacrifices to the altar again. We're not asking you to go back. Paul even says, says it's not about the week or the moon or the month. But we do have a Lord's Day. We do have a day in the book of Acts that was set aside. It was the first day of every week where the people gathered together to break of bread, to communion, to read the word and to pray. It was the day that was set aside to correlate along with the commandments of God that he is still first. And as God rested on one day, so should we. Yet we live in a world today, I know, it's so hard. And yet the question can come from Nehemiah and say this. Do you keep the Lord's day? Just how have we responded? Do we keep the morning? Do we keep the evening? Do we serve those in need? Are we ministering to the widows? Or has it just become... Lord, I'll go to church, and then the rest of the day is for who? Wow. No, I'm not picking on you. I'm not picking on your children. I'm not picking on your marriages. I'm picking on the church. Just how far will we allow the world to change us before we stand up? As one of the writers wrote it this way, Hawkins said this, is the Sabbath now become a time to serve ourselves without interference? Or do we overcome the interferences to serve the Lord? And then he says it's about your possessions. It's not a sermon on tithing. It's a sermon on everything you have should be given to God. Even your precious children. As soon as possible, 
should be directed to the cutting of the curses and the oaths so that they too experience the grace, the sustaining power and blessing of an unconditional love of God. Parents, I hate to tell you this. You're not always going to be around to make sure they're cared for, to make sure they do the right things. You'd better lead them to a covenant with the Lord. And yet finally, what is the last one? Yes, it's about the scriptures. Yes, it was about understanding the signing and the stipulations. But finally, it's about submission. Are you ready to submit? Are you ready to do what you're supposed to do? Let me ask you this question. If you as a church will not submit to the word of God, who else in the world will? Who are we depending on to keep the Great Commission, to uphold the Great Commandment? If the church isn't going to do it, nobody else will. Which means one mixed marriage leads to a mixed family which leads to mixed society, which results in a mixed church. And now we've just sent out a mixed message. You can be a Christian, and you can be a part of the church, and you don't even have to abide by the scriptures. And that's where we are today. Christians around the world in churches that don't even uphold the covenants of God's word. I challenge you this morning. Yes, it's going to cost you. Paul even says in Romans, you've got to become a living sacrifice. It's going to cost you something to stand up to the truth of God. But I am reminded... It cost God everything to put you first. What's it going to cost you to put him first? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your unconditional grace. Lord, that we are not working ourselves into salvation. We are not working ourselves into a righteousness. It's not about legalism and it's not about the rules. It's about responsibility, Lord. It's through this gracious covenant, your unconditional love, that, Lord, we too want to serve you. We want to place our faith in you. We want to follow your regulations and laws. Lord, we want to give you glory. Lord, we want revival. Lord, I pray wherever it is in our families, if it's one of our marriages, if it's one of our parents, our siblings, our children, the Lord, we would surrender that to you, that we would stand up for the truth and that we would surrender it wholeheartedly that you would work. Let us be grateful for Paul's teaching that even when only one parent is a Christian, the children can be deemed holy. 
because of your unfailing love. Thank you for that love. Thank you for putting us first and giving the greatest sacrifice of all. We ask it in Jesus' name for what he's done for us. Amen. The benediction, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And God's children said, Amen. Amen. Have a great Lord's Day.